For the past two weeks, we've been considering this portion of scripture that's found in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, in which Paul makes a sincere, urgent appeal to us as believers to present our bodies as a living sacrifice that is wholly acceptable unto to God. It is our spiritual worship, he says. We find out that that living sacrifice is to be manifested in a change of our thinking. A change in our thinking that results in a complete transformation. It says that you be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I noted that the word transformed is what we get our word metamorphosis from. That uh, change that takes place in a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. A complete transition. And in this complete transition, we said that what is so striking about it is our new perception of the will of God. That that will of God is good, that it is acceptable, that it is perfect. That we now view doing the will of God as that which is our utmost desire. This morning as we partake of communion, I decided to try to illustrate this concept of the will of God as it existed in the mind of Jesus. For we are told in the scriptures that we are to have the mind that Jesus had. In Philippians it says, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but took upon himself the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of man, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God has also highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee would bow, and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. This, this transformed mind, this renewed mind concerning the will of God. This morning I want to illustrate how Jesus perceived the will of God as being good and acceptable and perfect. It begins as we think of communion itself, that Passover meal that Jesus is sharing with his disciples. And as they partake in that Passover meal, which is ultimately going to be then transformed into the Last Supper or communion, as we think of it this morning, we have the words of Jesus. And in particular, the prayer that he offered before he distributed the elements of the, the bread and the cup. And the scripture says, concerning this Last Supper, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you, this do in remembrance of me. I want to focus on that simple phrase that says, when he had given thanks. When he offered thanks unto God for 
this bread, and this cup. Now, we know that the bread and the cup symbolized the body which was to be given for us, the blood that was to be shed for us. So as Jesus is preparing to hand the bread to the disciples that represents his body, which is to be given, and then he offers thanks and hands them the cup, which represents the blood that is to be shed, I want us to think about that incredible display when he offers up thanksgiving for his own death. Offering up thanksgiving for the body which is being given. Offering up thanksgiving for the cup that represents his blood that's going to be shed. How could Jesus give thanks to the Father for his own death that is about to take place? That's what I want us to think about this morning, for that really demonstrates an appropriate appreciation for the will of God. We are heading into the Thanksgiving season, and uh, one of the great verses is 1 Thessalonians 5.18, and everything gives thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. In everything give thanks, for this is God's will. Jesus certainly personifies the fulfillment of 1 Thessalonians 5.18 as he gives thanks, as he distributes the bread and the cup, for this is the will of God the Father. So this morning, in preparing us for communion, we are going to look at um, this way in which the theme is viewing the will of God in the way that Jesus did. That God's will is good, that it's acceptable, that it is perfect. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 7, it says this, Then I said, it's referring to Jesus, Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Jesus came to this earth in order to fulfill, to do, to complete the will of God. And so Jesus is thankful as he celebrates the Passover meal with his disciples for it is the fulfillment of the will of God. So as we think of these three aspects of God's will, that it is good, that it's acceptable, that it's perfect, we can understand that first, Jesus was thankful for his own death because the will of God concerning Christ's death was good. The will of God concerning Christ's death was good, and that's how Jesus perceived it. Good in the sense of being morally right. Good in the sense of proper. Good in the sense of beneficial. Now when we say that Jesus understand that God's will was good, it was a struggle for Jesus to submit to God's will concerning his own death. We know that Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. If it be possible, 
let this cup pass from me. But he's quick to say, but not my will, but yours be done. He submitted himself to the will of the Father. Earlier in John, Jesus said this, Now is my soul troubled. My soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. Here is Jesus' response to the will of God, the Father. He said, my soul is troubled. What shall I pray? That I be delivered from this hour of death? He said, that is the very purpose that I came. Jesus knew that he had come to die. He knew that it was the purpose for his body uh, preparation for the incarnation that he would be dying on the cross. So his prayer was, glorify your name. May all people see the goodness of God in my sacrifice. May they understand your mercy. May they understand your love. May they understand your justice. God, may you be glorified in my death. May people perceive the goodness of God in my death. May they understand that your will is good. Jesus perceived that God's will in Jesus' death was good. The birth of Christ is referred to as good news. When the angels came to the shepherds, they said, behold, we bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be unto all people. For unto you this day is born the king, for, this, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. We bring you good news. The gospel is good news, Romans 10, 15. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? And it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. The death of Christ is good. The day on which Jesus died has become known in all Christendom as Good Friday. Have you ever thought about that appellation for the day on which Jesus died? That universally among Christian people refer that to that as Good Friday? What is good about Good Friday? Answer, the will of God. The salvation that is brought unto mankind. The deliverance that is granted. The forgiveness of sins. And thus, God is to be praised and thanked. Application, our lives are changed when we perceive that the circumstances of our lives serve the will of God. When we understand that, that our lives are fulfilling the purpose for which God has made us and saved us, it transforms the way in which we think about our circumstances. 
especially when we keep in mind that God is good. Joseph had lived a very difficult life in the Old Testament. If you know the story of Joseph, he's one of the 12 sons of Israel, Jacob. Joseph was hated by his brothers because he was the father's favorite and the father demonstrated that Joseph was his favorite, which brought a lot of heartache and misery and jealousy among the brothers. And so the brothers decided to kill Joseph and then at the last minute, instead of deciding to kill him, they sold him into bondage in Egypt. And in Egypt, he is purchased by Potiphar, and uh, Potiphar's wife accuses him falsely of trying to have a sexual relationship with her, and Potiphar throws him in prison. And now Joseph's in prison. And in prison, he's forgotten. He's overlooked for all the goodness that was demonstrated uh, to those that had come to him. But eventually, he was raised to a place of authority and responsibility in, jo- in uh, the land of Egypt. He was used of God to bring about a great deliverance from a famine that was going to be taking place worldwide. His brothers eventually come down into the land of Egypt in order to receive food, for that was the only place where there was food. And they encountered their brother Joseph again. They thought for sure that Joseph would get even with them for the skullduggery of selling him into slavery and bondage, but he didn't. But eventually, Joseph's father dies. And once the father is dead, the brothers think now is when Joseph's going to get even with us. Now is when he's going to pay us back. Dad's dead. And so they go to Joseph and come up with a concocted lie about how uh, Joseph was told by uh, their father how they should be treated. Well, this is the response of Joseph. Joseph says to his brothers, as for you, you meant evil against me. As for you, you were treating me awful. As for you, you wanted to see me harmed. As for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good, to bring about many people that they would be kept alive today. He looked at his circumstance and said, yes, you brothers, you meant this for evil. But God meant it for good. Joseph saw a goodness in his being sold into slavery. Joseph saw a goodness in his being falsely accused. Joseph saw a goodness in his being falsely imprisoned. Joseph saw a goodness in his being overlooked for his faithfulness while a prisoner. And the goodness he saw was the sovereign God at work. God had a reason. God had a purpose. And Joseph said, that purpose is good. It's right. And so, he was able to give thanks. In Romans chapter 8, verse 28, 
a verse that predicates this whole discussion says this, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. God has a purpose. God has a reason for our lives. And it says, we know that all things work together for good. That doesn't mean that everything in our life is pleasurable. That doesn't mean that everything in our life is joyful. That doesn't mean that everything in our life brings a sense of delight. Even as Jesus was troubled as he thought about going to the cross. And yet, there was reason to give thanks. Because God has a purpose. God has a design. And that design is good. And so, like Jesus, we're called upon in times of adversity and hardship to give thanks to God for the circumstance of which we are in. For God has a good purpose in what we are going through. Secondly, Jesus was thankful for his own death because the will of God concerning Christ's death was pleasing to God. It was pleasing to God. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable. Now we're looking at this word acceptable, which means to be pleasing, to be pleasing. And we are to understand that the will of God brings pleasure to God when it is fulfilled. In the scriptures, we find out that God was not pleased with the sacrifices of the Old Testament. In Hebrews chapter 10 and following, it says, Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. That's our word. You have taken no pleasure. You were not satisfied. You were not delighted in those offerings in the Old Testament. Those offerings of bulls and rams. Yes, God commanded it. Yes, they had a purpose. But they couldn't satisfy the justice of God. The holiness of God. The righteousness of God. They couldn't take away sin. God could not delight in them. So Jesus said, I have come to do your will. You have prepared a body for me in order that he might bring delight to God, in order that he might offer up a sacrifice that was acceptable, pleasing to God. Thus Jesus came to make himself an offering for sin. Hebrews 10, 7, then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as is written of me in the scroll of the book. God was pleased with the sacrifice of his son. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 10, it reads in the ESV, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt says that it was the will of God to crush him. That it was God's design for Jesus to die. 
The uh, NAS, King James, translates it, but the Lord was pleased to crush him. That is a more literal translation. He was pleased. I understand why they have chosen to translate that as the will of the Lord, because that sounds almost sadistic, that somehow God took a fiendish delight in the sacrifice of his son, and it certainly doesn't communicate that. It's certainly not what we're to understand. God the Father loved his son. What we understand is that, that God was satisfied with the death of his son. It satisfied his justice. It satisfied his holiness. It pleased God that these sins were removed. He delighted not in the process, but the outcome. That which Christ's death accomplished, that which it achieved. For Listen to Isaiah 53.10. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring, he will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. The good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. That which God delights in will be achieved. That's what he took pleasure in. And so Jesus is able to offer thanksgiving to God as he distributes the cup and the bread for he knows that it is pleasing to the Father. It achieves his purpose and his end. There are 29 different Hebrew words translated in English as pleasure. The Hebrew word that is found in this text is one in which God takes great delight in what is accomplished. God took great delight in all that Jesus' death accomplished. Jesus did not die in vain. Jesus said that the Father had given Jesus a body in order to do the will of God. A body that was intended in order to accomplish God's purpose and sacrifice. We too have been given a body by God. Psalm 139 says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. It says that God had a distinct purpose in the way in which he made us. Our very fingers, our hands, our eyes, our ears. Every part of our body was intentionally overseen by the creator God so that we would be the exact people that he wanted us to be. He created us with gifts and abilities. And not only did he create us with gifts and abilities, but as we work our way through Romans, we're going to find out that we're given gifts. That's the next section, starting with verse 3, that God has given us gifts to be used of God. 
In Romans chapter 12, the admonition is, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. We are to present ourselves to God, to be used of God in any way in which he so chooses. Whatever God wants of our lives, whatever his design, whatever his purpose, knowing that his will is good, and knowing that that brings pleasure to God, to be used in that way. And then lastly, Jesus was thankful for his own death because the will of God concerning Christ's death was being completely accomplished, fulfilled, or achieved. Jesus was well aware of all that God had given him to do. He knew fully what his life and death was about. We have a remarkable statement of Jesus as he hung upon the cross. That last statement of Jesus, and I believe that everyone here knows it well. When Jesus cried out with a loud voice, it is finished. It is finished. Do you know the verse that comes before it? The verse that comes before that great declaration is, after this, Jesus knowing that all was now finished. Jesus knowing that all was now finished. The same word that appears in the next verse where he says it is finished. Jesus knowing that it was all finished, it was all done, it was all accomplished. Everything that God intended through his death was achieved. Salvation had been accomplished. It had been wrought. He knew it was done. And knowing that it was done, he cried out with a loud voice, it is finished. It's done. God's will has been accomplished. It's fulfilled. My ministry is done. I'm ready to ascend into the very presence of God from his purpose in sending me to this earth. It's done. It's finished. That's how we should view the end of our life. Paul is dying as he writes 2 Timothy. Uh, he realized that he's going to be put to death. He's going to be offered as a sacrifice for his faith. Paul writes to Timothy and he says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I've kept the faith. Paul says, I have done all that the Father wanted of me. God's purpose in making me, God's purpose in saving me, it's done. It's done. What a joy at the end of our life to be able to say, we've done what God wants us to do. We've accomplished the purpose for which he made us and the purpose for which he saved us. And when we are able to say that, we can take great joy in our lives and we can offer thanks to God. 
thanks to God. At this point, we're going to move to the partaking of communion. We ask the the brothers to uh, prepare. And as they're getting ready,